Hello, college football fans, and welcome to episode 34 of College Football Throwdown. I am your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello there, college football fans. All right, and we're coming to you on this uh, Wednesday evening. We're doing a little late late podcast tonight after a nice day of family activities in celebration of the fact that Nebraska actually won their bowl game. How about that? <laughs> I know, and I predicted they wouldn't. Well, actually, I mean, uh, so on our previous episode, episode 33, where we previewed Glad the, I'm wrong. the Nebraska-UCLA game, uh, we both gave predictions based on the thinking that um, that uh, uh, Tommy Armstrong would play well. This and, is true. And that, you know, he wasn't going to make the same mistakes he did in the Iowa game, which he didn't. You know, That's he right. actually probably played his best game of the season. That's um, true. So I think, did I, I did predict the win. No, you, we, we, well. Did I? Yeah, no, you, we did. Uh, you actually predicted a 42-28 victory. That's right. And I predicted 35-21. Uh, so if you kind of combine our two scores, <laughs> if somebody had done 35-28, you'd be right about on the money to the final score of, uh, it was 29-37. right. Yep, Eight-point victory. Um, so we're going to, uh, this could be our kind of recap podcast. We're going to talk about... Uh, what we thought of the game, you know, the implications of how we played and what it means going forward in terms of the offseason recruiting. Before we dive into that, we're going to do our tradition and crack our uh, beverage open here. All right. There we go. Yeah, and it's probably appropriate to uh, clank our can since I inadvertently already opened my can. That's right. He go. was so anxious for the podcast, he couldn't resist opening it early. <laughs> All right. So yeah, um, I can, uh, you listeners out there don't know my dad as well as I do, although you probably got a bit of a taste of his personality listening to this podcast. Uh, but during the uh, Nebraska game, she tends to get very impassioned in both a good and a bad way. Uh, good in that, you know, we there's yelling and cheering when we score touchdowns and we all high, high five, five and it's great. Uh, but um, he was about to pop a gasket there in the fourth <laughs> quarter when it looked like we might give up the game to UCLA, and I had to s- scream at him and get him to calm down, and he was walking back and forth and had to leave the room after one series of downs, and so it was an emotional night. But it was. turned out good in the end, right? That's right. That's right. And, and um, so we can we can talk a little bit about that maybe a little later in. Uh, you know, just the the logic of, of of how I get so drawn into that, but but uh, but more so, it's it would be interesting to see or describe. Uh, you know, uh, what was it that that allowed Nebraska to be successful? Because certainly, as the uh, you know second half was or second quarter rather was beginning to unfold here a little bit, it looked like they were going to blow us out of the stadium. I mean, well. it got to where it was twenty one to. Seven, we had no answer for their offense. They were pretty much scoring it well. In fact, they had, I think, two drives that were four plays. So it looked yeah. like it, it could just become a track meet uh, in which uh, they were doing all the running. That's uh, true. <laughs> uh, but then we, we were able to kind of gather ourselves um, offensively and, and stay committed to the running game. Uh, and, uh, you know, we had, we had responded so well to their first drive. Their first drive was outstanding where they had a great 
little uh, combination of uh, of passing and running. Um, they just kind of just appeared that they had kept us off balance. That our defense really had no idea what they were going to do next, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then we were able to come back and immediately drive the ball down the field and do the same thing. And now, in hindsight, of course, you look back on the game in total and you begin to realize that they never really stopped us much. You know, it was mostly us stopping ourselves, uh, right. particularly in a, you know, early in the game there. Uh, there were two drives that ended up not being successful for us, but, but uh, uh, for the most part, that was self-inflicted, including right. a fumble. Right, that was a bad fumble, yeah. But, um, yeah, it, was, it definitely was rough uh, near the beginning, um, but I, I think our, you know, it clearly took our defense a bit of time and maybe our coordinators to kind of adjust to what they were throwing at us, but once we did, I mean, we you know, managed to stop them there late in the second quarter, and especially in the third quarter, I mean, really just shut them down entirely, basically, which right. was nice to see unfold for sure. Right. Well, and, and the big part of being able to shut them down in that third quarter was that we just didn't give them very many plays. I mean, the fact that they had two series in which they went three and out is disappointing, but usually you would expect to have more than two series, but we were so dominant, and we were and we were dominant in the, the running game. Yeah, yeah, we were just burning that clock. That's right. That's one of the nice things about the running game. That's right. Yeah, one thing we noted on was that not only were we running the football more in terms of using, you know, Monty Cross and Zigbo and those guys, and um, uh, what's our fullback's name again uh, uh, that we love? Uh, Janovic. Janovic, yep, yep. Uh, but also uh, having Tommy Armstrong do some quarterback keeps and where he, he kept the ball and showed off what he can do. And right. I, I feel like we haven't seen enough of that, honestly, this season. Right, we definitely didn't. And and then also uh, using the, the you know, the, uh, the, the zip uh, motion sweeps and things like that. So we were even able to get the wide receivers involved in the running game a little bit yep. uh, with that and some reverse-type actions, yep. things and then, like that. And that later on in the game, we brought Terrell Newby for a couple times mm -hmm. where he could use his speed, right. you know, um, in nice. contrast to Amani's uh, strength, mm -hmm. which so, I mean, uh, overall, I mean, I think the Nebraska fans had to be happy from that perspective in that we saw, you know, a three uh yeah, what was it total? 319, 319. Uh, no, 326 yeah, rushing yards total yep. uh, on 62 attempts, you know, averaging five yards a rush. I mean, that's classic Nebraska football right there. That's right. That was... Well, and that's the thing, the, 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 com the, the play selection overall, you know, the, the percentage of run to pass, all those kinds of things really did harken back to the kind of uh, structure that Nebraska fans grew to appreciate and and view as winning football. And one of the big reasons, which kind of played out here, was when you do that, you really do control the game more. Now, the, it's easy to say, and oh, well, let's look back and, and gee, what, what could have been if we had had a game plan like this all season? And there's some truth to that. There's no question that there's some truth to that. I am convinced that if we had had the kind of patience and commitment to the running game that we showed in this game, in some of the other games that we played, the outcome would have been different. But I, I, I stopped short of saying, oh, absolutely, that, that would, because we don't know what would have happened in terms of right. our running game. The truth is, is that our offensive line played much better late in the season than they did earlier in the season, when, particularly in the running game. Um, and uh, one of the big reasons for that was some personnel changes. I mean, we, we yeah. switched up at, uh, the, at, the, at that right guard spot and, uh, and put uh, Zach Stirrup in there. i, I got to believe he was probably the only six-foot, 
eight or six foot nine offensive guard in the country because <laughs> usually uh, your offensive guards are not six eight. Uh, that's for right. sure. Well, yeah, that's something I hadn't thought about, but that's definitely a factor in this. Uh, our success in this game is that this is the healthiest our team has been all season. You mm. know, at this time to get guys back and all of that. Right. Um, and that goes to show how much losing those guys early in the season and having to start with all these, you know, new guys. Uh, Unexpe- yeah, unexpectedly, yeah, yeah. and inexperienced hurt us early. Mm-hmm. Although I think in terms of long-term, um, you know, those guys kind of got thrown into the trenches and had to, you know, kind of uh, sink or swim mm-hmm. a bit, uh, which, you know, sh- while we struggled some during those early games as a result, uh, hopefully has now made them better and increased our depth in some of those positions. Right. Well, and and, I, and the other thing is is that all the kids that got to play, um, you know, uh, they, they've figured out some of their personal weaknesses that maybe they didn't fully grasp before. Right. And so their commitment to their workout regimens and the off-season, all that sort of stuff, going to be just a little bit more focused, a little bit more mature in attitude because now they get it. Now they've... They've been out there and gotten smacked around by somebody who's a lot stronger than them or a lot quicker than them and realized, damn, if I'm going to do this game well, I need to do X, Y, and Z to get better or I'm going to have trouble, right? That's right. And so it's just kind of coming to that awareness is, is a big deal. Right. Um, and, you know, uh, there was a lot of talk before the game about some comments that Tommy Armstrong had made which, uh, you know, in, co- in the context of how he said it or just in terms of just looking at the quote separately, uh, in, in either case, you can kind of look at the, at the comment about he, where he said, you know, he asked for the coaches to treat him like a freshman. And, and that's now getting a lot of airtime and play in and around the Lincoln media. And um, uh, I, I think maybe we better understand what he meant by that. And, and I think it is that, uh, he genuinely did not know maybe some of the nuances of the game and the thought processes of, of some of the decisions that he was expected to make because no one had ever taken the time to actually walk through that with him and really explain what it was. Like, don't assume that I understand why we do X, Y, or Z. Tell me why. Tell me precisely why. Mm-hmm. And, and we as fans, as well as maybe even his coaches, going back to the previous staff, may have may have made the mistake over a course of years here even of assuming that Tommy Armstrong understood the game intellectually and, you know, uh, from a uh, schematic standpoint at a level that was much higher than he really did. Mm-hmm. And so there were some assumptions being made that they needed to go back to the drawing board and actually explain. And if his performance in this game is any indication, maybe the conversations we had, even on this podcast and sometimes uh, on other conversations – are in fact the things that needed to be happening with this player, and they never ago. were. Yeah. yeah, and they never were. Huh. Well, that seems. I mean, I can maybe understand it under Bo's era because we didn't have like a quarterbacks coach, right. you know, specifically. But under Riley, we do. So I would think that that would hopefully mean that you know uh, a problem like that would get uncovered right. know, from that kind of intensive. Well, and, and some of it was his willingness, or in this case, maybe unwillingness. To be receptive to the to, to the critique and to the instruction, I, I'm not going to presume just because he made that statement that our coaches didn't try to tell him what to do and and communicate what what was expected. I, I'm pretty confident they did. Whether it's this again, whether it was this staff or the previous staff, the difference is did we take the time to explain very specifically what it was 
that we wanted and, and didn't want to have happen. Because I think that's part of it that maybe he didn't fully grasp until now. And that part of that was him. That's a lot of it's on him, frankly. But bottom line is going forward and where the implication of having a game like this is, I think it elevates the player's awareness of what they can be. Yeah. You know? Well, well I think, you know, well, I mean, obviously on our preview podcast, a lot of what we talked about was Tommy Armstrong and how his performance in this game was going to be key to our victory or defeat. And I think, A, Tommy did play good in this game. You know, he got some good runs in, which, as I think it was you said during the game, that that seems to level his head a bit and get Mm -hmm. him, you know, a bit more excited. Absolutely. He just, his focus is improved when he gets hit a couple times. Right. In a run situation. Right, not sack. (laughs) Not sack. And and he, uh, the coaches were putting him in situations where either he was running or he was giving it off to running backs or he was making short passes, right. you know, that were easier to make, and right. you know, it, it was simpler. But he was able to execute it well. Um, right. In terms of passing in this game, we had uh, twelve pass, or nineteen passes for twelve completions, which is a pretty darn good. Um, yeah, a decent, yeah. a decent percentage. Yeah, well, um, I'm saying passing. pretty great compared to right. our numbers earlier right. this season. Well, and and but but the key there is. Uh, you know, average per, per pass play was pretty good there. You know, and to get 170 174 yards passing uh, on 12 completions, and you threw it less than 20 times, that's to me is is quite ideal. That's that's efficient enough and effective enough that the the opponent, in this case UCLA, has to respect what we're able to accomplish. Right. Right. I mean, we we got we had some critical pass plays that were successful. Uh, and so they can't just load up on on the running game and, and just assume you're not going to be able to execute on the passing game. We showed enough efficiency that they were forced to respect that. And that's all you need. You don't need balance, but what you need is effectiveness, right? Yeah, competence. You need to have competence in that so that they have to respect you. Right. And that's all you need. And then the rest of it can be control the body by the body blows you give them by running the football yeah. a bunch. Now, this is something we should probably address because I'm sure all of our list- Nebraska listeners out there wanted to hear us talk about it. Our reactions to the uh, targeting call against yes. uh, Gary uh, in the second quarter, I believe it was, of the game, um, which was an odd flashback to his uh, targeting call in the Iowa game, except even more egregious because yeah. although in the Iowa game, you know, he went low, the guy was falling, you know, they contacted heads. It clearly wasn't intentional, but I can see why they called it at least. In the case of this game, he clearly, you know, led with his shoulder. It wrapped. was a beautiful, yeah, yeah wrapped arms. up. You know, he went low. It was a pitch-perfect tackle, right. just about. And they call him for targeting. Even the UCLA coaches on the sidelines joking with him about it. Right. Because he knows that it wasn't targeting. Right. Yep. That's <laughs> yeah. true. Yeah, it that's was absolutely true. Yeah. There was some there was some words being flung by my dad at that moment. <laughs> that probably shouldn't be repeated here. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, when the announcers are saying it and everybody everybody watching the game knows it. Yep. It, it was bad. It, it, well, and and it brings up uh, the topic of of that that particular rule among a few others that we'll maybe talk about that's probably a great uh concept for a future podcast for mm. us to lo- lock on to a few things not just ones that where say nebraska has been uh, affected but just in general that have that have uh that exist or have recently been changed or added to uh, the rule book that that i think either 
have affected play in with some unintended consequences or just flat out are bad rules, you know? Because yeah. there are a few of them, and, and frankly, I think that would be one of them. I absolutely agree that we need to avoid targeting. But I think the problem is, and maybe this is why some of these referees are, are, are coming up with these conclusions and these calls, because maybe if you just read the letter of the law, not the intent of the law, but the letter of the law, then that was a targeting call, okay? Um, because the, the letter doesn't go into enough detail uh, about what yeah. it means. And, you know, but the judgment part of it is, it kind of gets back to, you know, most people who are watching the game, especially with the beauty of clear slow motion, you can you can pretty much figure out whether the person was launching with the intent of of harm or was simply making a tackle. Okay, yeah. and and I I wish that it was that simple of a of a judgment call that they could just say this is what we think we think this guy was launching and going into the guy and uh, with the intent of taking advantage of a helpless player versus these two guys were going at each other and their helmets hit uh, basically uh, incidental uh, and but otherwise it was a football play right and that's what i want them to get to yeah i agree i mean there's nothing wrong with targeting in in theory you know it makes sense to try to protect players <clears throat> like right. from concussions and stuff like that but yeah the the implementation of it is the current problem and yep. and there was something else i was going to mention oh and you mentioned the slow motion thing it's it's great from that perspective of you you know you get to see um exactly what's happening moment to moment but right. i think it also sometimes has a negative effect and like mm -hmm. making something seem like it was intended when right. it really wasn't because you have to understand that the these speed. are split second yeah really fast things these mm -hmm. players are just going low because that's what they're taught to do to tackle you know right. so maybe they're not you know meaning to lead with their head but it just kind of happens right you know? right exactly well and and that's the thing is is so i i get the protection aspect of it and what they're trying to do is force uh, force uh, tackling technique and tackling instruction to to be changed fundamentally, going all the way back to to, to change the way people are taught to tackle. Right. Uh, and and so that's why some of these egregious errors occur because of the way that the, the, the rule is written. That's right. But you know the thing that just irritates me probably more than anything is the the impact that things like that have on the momentum of the game at that moment and in this case when you're talking about a rule that involves ejection it's taking a guy out of off of our team not right. because they're hurt or anything like that but but because they happen to be in that situation and and being a part of a play like that and that can be a huge impact on uh, a team yeah we saw that in we, the Iowa we game we saw that in the Iowa game exactly that was a huge loss for us and the fact that we didn't see it in the UCLA game is, is frankly, an, uh, a criticism of UCLA's offensive coaching staff. They absolutely should have attacked, uh, uh, you know, Nathan's replacement a lot yeah. more than they did. Yeah, I do remember, I think it was like the player two after he went out, they went after that guy and the yeah. safety actually made it. Yeah, he made a good play. Yep, yep, it was an interception. Um, talking about plays later. some of the stats in the game, just comparing the numbers, um, in terms of first downs, we dominated there, 31-17. Uh, time of possession, 38 minutes to 21 That's minutes. That's yeah. Total total yards three eighty six to five hundred. You know we obviously dominated, held them to sixty seven yards in rushing. Now they got three hundred nineteen yards passing on us, right? Uh, but also two interceptions. Uh, penalties we were about 
well, they had seven, we had six, but they had it, uh, it for 56, whereas we had it for 38, so they kind of beat us in terms of right. severity I mean, of penalties. Six penalties for 38 yards, especially given that one of those was a 15-yarder for the ejection. Right. It says that's a really clean game by our, by our standards. And frankly, anybody in, in football uh, with that kind of a penalty ratio and a physical football game of 60 minutes, I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah. So looking at the stats, I mean, honestly, I believe it was you was saying, like, we really were in control of that game, especially in the third quarter, and we kind of had the opportunity to really slam the door on them, and then we ended up having to sell for that field goal instead of a touchdown, right. which kind of almost spit us in the butt right. uh, in the fourth quarter. Exactly. Uh, but, Even though we were being dominant. And that's the one thing about this you know, as much as we're enamored with the idea of the running game and and having this kind of ratio of run the pass and everything, the fact is is one of the downsides of a running game like that is if you don't if you don't cash in when you get in the red zone, if you're not effective about converting those red zone opportunities into successful touchdowns, not mm-hmm. just field goals, but touchdowns on a great regular basis, uh, then you run the risk of dominating a team physically but then losing the game on the scoreboard. Right. I believe it's on your side. It mentions red zone scores with chances. I mean, right. we were five for six. So, right. Right. you know, now one of those was the field goal. Uh, but Well, yeah, one of the five. So that's that would be four of six maybe that were touchdowns, if, if, right? If we're talking about touchdowns. But, I mean, I think that's – I mean, that still shows that when we're getting in the red zone, we're getting points out of it mm-hmm. most of the time, which is definitely what you want. Yeah, but, I, you know, there's still some areas where I am critical of, of the current yes. coaching staff – offensive coaching staff for what they do and how they do it in that red zone area. You know, um, I, I always struggle to understand how um, it's, it's a fairly common occurrence that, they, that coaching staffs tend to change, them, change their behaviors. And I know that you practice, you know, basically red zone offense and goal line offense separately. And so that, that is truly a different offense that you run in that, in that red zone area. It is, mm-hmm. and you practice it differently, right? Yep. Even and, and so that's that makes sense. But but by the same token, sometimes that's an example of uh, out, outthinking yourself. Yeah, I'm talking about the fourth quarter a bit because you know obviously we're pretty positive on the game overall, but that is definitely an area of criticism. I believe that there was we had like two good stops on first and second down. It was like a third and ten, third and long situation, and we uh, like only rushed three guys and we let them their quarterback get enough time to pass the ball to get that first down and was like the, the kind of like the floodwaters came through the dam after right. that they were just having pass after pass was completed and they scored you know a couple really of plays quickly, later in two minutes and 32 seconds yeah. or something like so that so it just goes to show like how important of a momentum kind of moment that that stop Moonblood. was that absolutely. third down was absolutely so true and uh, and that's the thing is that see i i think uh, our our ability to utilize the breadth of our offense during those critical moments, okay, without doing stupid things that really are counter to, to good, effective, you know, um, risk management of the football game is what seems to be lacking with our coaching staff, as, as, as good as they do in many things. And you and I have had the conversation about I'm not necessarily uh, uh, super critical of our offensive concepts and the fact that we, we generally are, are going to tend to throw it more than maybe I would like, I'm okay with it because you can see guys are open. You can see that that's, that's effectively working. But we don't have a quarterback that always sees the field properly and or physically can get the ball 
accurately enough to those people, but they're open. Right. And, and, and that's saying something, you know, about that offense and about what they're trying to do. It's just there are times when you should choose not to do that. There are times <laughs> when you should choose to get the first down and understand the, the circumstance and the, and the game situation. Right. And that gets back to Tom Tommy Armstrong's comment about treat me like a freshman. I think it's, it, it's in those moments where he is so consistently, it would seem, made the wrong choice rather than the right choice at that at that most critical of times, you know. Um, and so the question is, can he, just by simply going up that IQ curve, can he all of a sudden change into the kind of quarterback that we thought he could be throughout the season? Yeah, well, that may very well be. I mean, the IQ, you know, uh, Tom Brady, you know, from a physical perspective, he's you know, good but not great. Mm-hmm. But it's his, it's his mind, and he's such a great decision maker, and all those things that really elevates him yep. as a quarterback. And he's got a good arm and all that. Uh, so I think if Tommy, you know, can learn learn that IQ bit, and then be able to, you know, do it in practice enough times that it becomes instinct, you right. know, then I think that would definitely improve his game a exactly. lot. It also gets back to what we've been talking about all season about Langsdorf understanding what he's got, you know, the the talent pool that he has. You know, if we had a, you know, NFL potential kind of throwing quarterback, you know, uh, a lot of those open receivers would probably get past two and we'd be golden, you know. Right. But we don't have that. So Langsdorf has to, you know, adapt his system to that. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and uh, I will I will say that you know on the, in those in that fourth quarter, yeah, we were running a number of our drives there. We're very conservative. You know, we're rushing it straight down the middle. No creativity in terms of the rushing plays. Although on the very last drive where we got those couple first downs that you know ended the game, there he did sh- he he finally got it through his head and he he ran a couple of uh, intelligent plays like he left uh, let Tommy keep it once. I remember right. that got us the first down. That was nice. You know, he was running some like reverses and stuff. So. You know that that drive was more of an encapsulation of what I'd like to see more often in those fourth quarter yes. situations. Well, and and it's and the thing is, you you, you just want to you want to make sure that you're you're putting your best foot forward, that you're doing the things that you're most likely to be good at, right? Mm-hmm. And and that that means you know um, putting the ball in the hands of the quarterback to run it because he's a big, powerful runner. But you don't just have him take a direct snap and then and then take a step back and then and then immediately run. Un, unabated or un, with with no lead blockers or anything like that, you've got to put yourself in a position where you're either going to have a numbers advantage because you're you're going to add more blockers than they have defenders, right? And and find a way to to uh, uh, you know put yourself in a position where you can get a crease and see what mm-hmm. you can do with the football. And now it's just up to the running back to see what he can do to maximize the the, the play, or you have to do a really good job of executing some kind of a fake, right? That's going to give that guy mm-hmm. an opportunity. Um, what, the last thing you want to do is do something simple where you do a lazy you know, quarterback draw or you hand the ball to a single back with no lead blocker and expect him in, uh, you know, during a time when the defense is anticipating that you're, you're going to run it to run the clock and they can easily tackle you. That's a problem. Right, right. That's all a problem. Um, after the game, actually, um, I guess Mike Riley did this interview with uh, the Associated Press. It's on their website. Um, and he talked about how he was, you know, he was impressed with the running game and the UCLA game and how that's kind of the direction he wants to go in moving forward into 2016. 
He said, uh, this is a quote here, what we eventually want to do next year is to be in the top three in the league and running the football. And when you can do that, then life gets better everywhere. We didn't necessarily have to wait until next year to start with that idea. Um, so well, That's good to know. Yep, yep. He talks about, I think it could be the common denominator for winning a championship, and that's what we want to do. And then down here at the bottom, he mentions, uh, in this last month, month and a half, we have played our best football. We probably played our best football game in the bowl. When a team... Uh, can do that and fight through all the stuff we did. That says a lot about the character of the young men who are in the program. Uh, so that that's from our perspective. Uh, I think that's promising things all to promising, hear yeah. about where Riley wants to go with the team in the future. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, um, it's I mean it's something you know any uh, good football coach will say about their boys is that they have heart and that they you know fight with it and all that thing. But I think it's you know especially true of this uh, team given all the close losses mm-hmm. and the. Uh, you know, disappointment yep. this season, you know, that they didn't, uh, they didn't you know, pack uh, it in. yeah, pack it in. Like yeah. we've talked about some of the seniors on the team who maybe haven't fully bought in with the Riley philosophy compared to the Bo philosophy, you know, and all those sorts of things. Um, so we're worried about that as like going into this game, how many of those seniors would be, you know, coming to play, right. you know, which is so important in bowl games, which team is better prepared and ready you know, and excited to play in that bowl game. Mm-hmm. And clearly, you know, Riley did something right and got got our guys ready because they right. played good. I, I, there's no question that there was some buy-in that had to happen, and it and it, and it would appear that that has in fact occurred. Um, but we'll we'll have. I still think we need to have a wait and see on that. But the fact that we got this win, I think, is really significant in that it does reflect. Uh, now you can look back and say, okay, we won three of our last four games. We, we beat one top 10 team. We beat a UCLA team that was ranked as high as seventh at some point during the season. You know, a wow. team that clearly had some very good talent, even though they had some injuries that took some of their talent away. Um, and, you know, we had reasons to fold the tents, and we didn't do that. Right. And, and we have a lot of returning starters. We're going to have 16, maybe 17 returning starters, plus both our field goal and, and punter, uh, field goal kicker and punter. So when you look at the team overall and what's coming back next year, just with that starting core, uh, it's a pretty attractive group. Now, Now, depending on what happens with all these go-early junior uh, possibilities and things like that, especially along that defensive line, uh, you know, there's some big question marks along the offensive and defensive lines that we're going to have to get, get answered about next year's team. But we certainly have the pieces at – at running back, wide receiver, et cetera, to do a pretty good job, especially if Tommy were to make uh, decisions and play like he did tonight uh, from game one next year. Right. And, and, and even better. And that would allow us to have that the young gun quarterback to come in, uh, and, uh, O'Brien, and, and just you know kind of be there, uh, maybe get some snaps, get some reps, but not have to be the guy. Until next year, you know. right? So, until twenty seventeen, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and you just mentioned, you know, the how we won three of our four most recent games. Mm-hmm. You know, the one we lost against Iowa. Yeah. You know, anybody who watched the game would tell you that Nebraska played the better football that day, and we just shot ourselves in the foot with four interceptions. You know, I mean, we had the potential to yeah. be the team that beat undefeated Iowa. You know, and I understand your point. That. Although I would argue that there would be a lot of people that say we did not play. Uh, better football because the turnover is part of the game. Well, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. And it is, but physically, I, I what agree. You're saying but, is physically, yeah. There were there were certainly plenty of uh, uh, demonstrable things you could point to about that game against Iowa. 
uh, first downs, yardage, all these different measurables, right. how, other than the score. How, yeah, you could have and how much to. how much our defense is able to stuff them on right. you know a number of their drives and right. I mean, I mean all that. but yet we still had some bonehead plays, bonehead oh, yep. decisions, and losing Nathan Gary let then, them yep. get those runs against us for big yards and all right. that. Right, right, which are all factors. Um, so yeah, yeah, talking about basically what this uh, bowl game means for us in terms of the future. You know, right. we talked about when we were wondering if we were going to get into a bowl game, how it was helpful in terms of uh, you know just getting the players extra, another month of practice, practice and all that. Yep. And from the perspective of you know going out on a high note and recruiting and all mm-hmm. those things, you know the fact that a five and seven Nebraska being eight and four UCLA, you know all those are nothing but positives mm-hmm. for us going forward. I agree. Uh, so I definitely think this uh, this is definitely a good you know a you know for a six and seven team you know you have to look at that and realize that you know four of those losses came on like the last play of the game right. and so, we really so if you had if you had uh, if you had just done a reasonably good job and won two of those four just as a generic okay flip the coin of the four super close games let's let's give ourselves two and let's concede that that two would flop the other way which is the average right 50 right, 50 right. um then you would have been looking at you know eight eight and what would that be eight and seven total um, right uh, no it's not eight and seven well, i got that wrong it, no it would be eight and minus two so it'd be eight and five eight and five yeah, yeah. And uh, <clears throat> so that all of a sudden looks like more of a season that you could say, okay, I'm palatable with that in a transition year. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah, six and seven still definitely rough to look at that. Yeah. Uh, it was a disappointing year. A uh, year in which I think there was a lot of experimentation on the part of the coaching staff trying to kind of understand what they had to work with and trying mm-hmm. different things and different players in different positions and different uh, you know playbook ideas and I'm a little disappointed that they didn't have more of that figured out you know before the season started you know understanding what they had to work with and right. all of that uh, that we didn't have to go through this kind of growth process painful growth process here this season mm-hmm. but I hope that that means that you know we've found nuggets that work you know especially here in the second half of the season near the end uh, and that uh, Riley and the staff will be able to expand on those over the off season and uh you know have have those starters come back and have us have a better 2016 right right well and and the the you know having all those guys get better you know it's just it's just a lot more likely to do that in an environment that's positive because you won that final game because now when coach riley goes out and recruits when he goes out and speaks to alumni groups you know their their last memory is of Nebraska playing what arguably everyone could point to and say was their best game of the year. I mean, maybe you could argue that the Minnesota game was better, but but I, you know, overall with both offense and defense and all the things that were going on, it would seem that that's the case. My hope is is that you know some of the other players, Vincent Valentine and uh, uh, the Williams fella, uh, defensive line, both choose to stay and be a part of the program for another year because I think Vincent will be making a huge mistake if he goes pro like Malik decided to do. I think Malik even could have benefited from another year, but I, I get why he why he chose to go. Right. I mean, I'm not as, um, I'm not as um, displeased with that decision as I will be if Vincent Valentine goes. Not only because it will hurt Nebraska, I believe. We need Vincent because uh, he's such a big body, and, and he, can, he will – need to play a, a very major role for us next year on the defensive tackle uh, position. But 
but uh, um, if someone gives him the advice and he chooses to go, I think I think that's going to be a regret on his I, part. I, I am curious about that because, I mean, one of the reasons we're saying that it would be kind of unfortunate for him to go is because he honestly hasn't had that great of a year this year, you know, right. what would you say, like nine tackles? Yeah, going into the bowl game, he had like nine tackles. Right, so... You know, I, I mean, uh, so would, would losing him really be that much of a, you know, sacrifice? I mean, clearly it stinks to lear, lose a big member of your offensive or your defensive line like that, but he hasn't exactly been like a superstar well, for us. No, well, not on the tackle side of things, but what what it's all the stuff that, that he did and was, uh, and his presence did, um, that kept other teams from being able to do other things and, mm. and allowed our de- our run defense to be one of the better ones in the country, even in a year that where we sucked as bad as we did as far as, you know, performance overall. So, so, but we'll see. I mean, whatever it is, it is, it, it will be. And we're going to have to go, go to, go to, uh, to the game next year with uh, whatever we've got. Right. Right. Whatever's there. But I think we've got a pretty good nucleus. I think we have some offensive linemen that, especially now that they've seen kind of what can be with this offense that they ran against UCLA, I think there might be a, a little bit different nuance in how they judge players. I, I think they've tended to judge and put a higher priority on a player's ability to do the things necessary for a passing offense. And uh, and if you weren't good at those things, you got shelved a little faster. Right. Uh, and as opposed to the other way around, where maybe you were good at the things that were important to the run aspects of the def- of the offense, and uh, um, you know, um, so let's just see what happens going forward. Do they do they still hold running backs out who might be as talented as the ones that are playing just because they aren't very good at pass blocking? Right. You know, uh, or do you keep a guy? That, you know, hopefully the experiment with uh, Stirrup will remove all proto. Uh, or uh, preconceived notions about what constitutes a good guard or a good center, and they'll just let performance on the field do the talking. Because sometimes, just maybe, the guy who happens to be six foot nine is also the guy that can lead block and have a powerful push, uh, <laughs> even though he's tall. You know, right. which arguably is not a good combination, but it certainly was better than what they had before. Right. So that's certainly true. All right. Uh, are there any other final points you want to make about the UCLA game? Uh, no, not not so much about the UCLA game. Um, um, I just, you know, in hindsight, it was a great game. Really enjoyed it. I, I will probably, I think I mentioned this to you, I will probably watch the third quarter of that game <laughs> about 100 times between now and next uh, football season just because I think it was a culmination of a lot of things that I, that I had hoped for this team, and it seemed to all come together at that particular time. Right. That was a good quarter for us for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. So... Good thing. Uh, I think we mentioned that all uh, Nebraska and the other two five and seven teams who made it into their bowl games because of that rule uh, ended up winning their games. As it turns out, so <laughs> it's going good for five and seven teams right now. Right. Well, and it and it just it it goes to show you that that you know when people want to make the argument that you know we shouldn't have more bowl games, I think there's a ton of truth in it. Uh, um, I kind of agree, but at the same time. How you sort out the bowl games that that don't get a stick around has got to be driven by how many of them can stay afloat financially, how many of them are drawing a reasonable attendance, uh, and those kinds of things. But but the idea of a reward for a good season versus you know whatever, uh, I think that has now been trumped. 
you know, it, it, that used to be a strong argument, but in this day and age where recruiting has become so sophisticated and, and, and uh, you know, the ability to improve and the fact that these guys play and practice their sport year-round, they, they hardly ever get a time off, um, all of a sudden, you know, th- that added 12 or 13 practices like we got, even for a minor bowl game, is huge for us. That's a whole other spring practice that we get. Um, right. And so... That's the kind of stuff that you can't you can't hardly put a price on that, and so that's why these these uh, this bowl game prol- proliferation keeps happening. Is coaches aren't going to say no to that, right? Right. They have more time to be with their team. Yep, certainly true. All right. Well, if you all out there enjoyed this podcast, you can email us at. Uh, uh, huskerbeat13 at gmail.com. You can find us online. We're uh, College Football Throwdown, or is it, uh, I think it's just Football Throwdown. Football Throwdown. Dot yep. Potomatic.com. Yep. You can also find us on iTunes under the same name. You can leave us uh, reviews and ratings there or uh, comments on the Potomatic website. We always like hearing from you guys. And we're looking specifically for suggestions and ideas now that the regular season is over, looking for ideas of, of topics to discuss because now we can get into the meat of, of deeper, more thoughtful issues rather than just reviewing a game, but rather talking about what's what's right, what's wrong in college football, what's right, what's wrong with our Nebraska uh, Huskers and all those kinds of things. So, yes. so we'd love to hear from, from you guys to make suggestions on potential topics for future episodes. That's certainly true. I like your idea of doing a podcast on things like targeting and other like rule changes that we'd right. like to see. You know, we definitely plan on doing like a, a bigger season and review podcast where right. we look back at the full season for the Huskers this year and right. you know what it means going forward, that kind of thing. Okay. And we ten list maybe. Maybe. And we definitely plan on doing uh podcasts on uh once these big bowl games are over and you know the playoff situation develops you know in terms of what upsets happen there and all that sort of stuff all right so thank you for listening out there husker nation and go big red go big red